0: arriving in US mail from St. Louis. In the original de Havilland DH4 biplane, in 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home.
1: Owning a historic home can be a great investment for the right person. So today, we're gonna be talking about the pros and the cons of owning a historic home. The definition of a historic home is pretty subjective, but it has to be associated with a historic event or person. A home really only has to be 50 years old, and if it sits in a historic district, then it can also apply. So let's start off with our pros. Our first pro, is the stories that this house has to tell now every home tells a story but historic homes have many more stories whether someone famous happened to have lived there or passed by or maybe something of historic relevance to your town or our nation happened on the property owning historic home and being able to tell these stories and research even more about the property is one of the things people love about owning them and with all the research you can do if those walls could talk I'll bet some of those stories are absolutely amazing Uh, what do you need to be aware of when owning or purchasing a historic home the number one thing is the cost of repairs now we have to remember that a historic home has to be 50 years old. Here in Charleston, you know, not uncommon to see homes built in the 1800s. As you can imagine, repairs on these homes can get very costly, especially if you need to replace them with like materials to adhere to your architectural board. If you have to do these repairs, who do you hire to do them? Now, this can get a little costly as well because, you know, while contractors are plenty and you can pick up the phone and call anyone, you need to make sure that whoever you hire to do work on your house is familiar with the materials and the construction from that time period. You may have to apply through the architectural review board to make sure it is allowed. Typical restrictions Are going to include adding rooms or even porches, replacing the windows, the shutters, the roof, the exterior, and in some instances even landscaping can fall under these guidelines.
0: After listening to some of the pros and cons, I bet Matthias Jones wishes his house's walls could talk. It would solve a lot of problems for him. And yes, Matthias Jones, who do we hire to do the work? That's coming in this chapter, folks. As well as getting through the bureaucracy, which amounts to a lot of paperwork and anxiety. Okay, after a devastating loss in last week's football game, Jones, as the episode begins, jogs after Froggy Finley but is unable to catch him, and then visits the head of the Historic Commission, Miriam Kendall Lincoln. Later in the day, Hamilton Fletcher meets with Bucky Driscoll. After that meeting, Jones learns important information about Mobley and Hamilton Fletcher from Tom McGill at the Enterprise. Arnie Dewis tells Jones about the big blowout at Mobley's house just before Jones faces an incredible disaster. That's Episode 2, coming up now, Six Feet Under, Matthias Jones series by Robert P. Fitton, beginning now. Six feet under. Chapter 5. Jones had showered and dried his hair with a terry cloth towel as he panned his patio in the early morning light. From this angle, many more pavers were loose. Maybe he should replace the pavers or have a deck built to the edge of the grass. The volleyball net from last summer sagged in the center of the grass, and the birds darted in and out of the hedge beyond. The historical society sign really galled him. Jones called the number he had inputted on the phone earlier.
2: The Historical Society is currently closed.
0: She had a squeaky, high-pitched voice which unnerved Jones all the more.
2: Please join us online for our History Comes Alive in Prince William County, a historical odyssey.
0: Jones rolled his eyes. And all you have to do with your life, lady, is to pound a sign into my patio?
2: New members will receive
0: discounts at local merchants. Please give us a call during normal business hours from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Remember our monthly meeting
2: in the community building where our topic will be the founders of Hamilton, New Hampshire. Have a sparkly, spackly day.
0: Sparkly, spackly? Miss Kendall Lincoln, kindly remove your intrusive sign from my yard. You know who this is. Jones figured he would travel over to 22 Cedarville Circle. Then his cell phone buzzed. Matthias Jones. He heard a strange, slurred voice.
2: This is your uh, Bose from the Patio Boys. I need Jewish friend.
0: What can I do for you, Bose?
2: Ask not what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. What? My sons and me we put together a quote while we were over at your house last night.
0: I never saw you over here.
2: You were sleeping.
0: What's the quote, Bose?
2: You don't mind if Slappy had a cup of hot chocolate, do you?
0: You were in my house, shouted Jones.
2: You were sleeping. I told you that.
0: That's impossible. Jones walked over to the sink. One of his large mugs had a ring of chocolate around the bottom. Will you stay out of my house, Bose?
2: It's not my fault the friggin' door was open.
0: I was tired. That doesn't mean you could come waltzing in here.
2: Nine hundred bucks with genuine Jewish products.
0: Ah, oh, jeez. Genuine, huh? Nine hundred bucks, that's fantastic.
2: I know it's a little bit high.
0: Jones walked outside. The pavers moved as he walked. And that cover is removing all the old pavers? asked Jones.
2: The Iron Man can take them to the dump if they don't sell them to Muddy Jacobs first.
0: As long as they're off my property, said Jones, staring at the pavers.
2: We have to make some test drillings first to make sure everything is stable. Slappy is an expert driller.
0: Oh, that's just great, said Jones, shaking his head.
2: What do you got for collateral?
0: asked Bose. Me? Asked Jones as the incoming call beeped. I have another call.
2: Oh, yeah, sure you do. I know that trick. What, do you think I'm stupid?
0: No comment. Bose hung up and Jones took the second call. Matthias Jones.
2: Who are you blabbing with now, Jonesy? I heard you walked
0: Franny McShane home last night. I was avoiding Lark. I can't fault you for dodging that blowhard. Listen, the old man will meet with us at two this afternoon. He'll give us the skinny about Mobley, or at least his version of it. We'll get there a little bit early to watch the execution squad. He's gonna fire Driscoll." Well, I'm not surprised. No kidding. The fool had it coming. Check out the front page of the Enterprise. The rodent's a celebrity. Hold on, said Jones as he started down the hall. I ain't got time to hold on. Jones opened the front door and retrieved the paper off the brick stairs. A huge black-and-white photo of Bucky Driscoll, his gut, flapping over his belt, was spread under the headline, local security cop accused in reckless crash. Ah, I see it. Yeah, I guess Lane's gonna throw the book at Driscoll. The rodent's all done. Hopefully he'll leave town. I'll swing by in the Beamer around 11.30. I'll talk to you. Jones locked the back sliders and hurried to get dressed. He donned his red-and-black Hamilton hoodie and sweatpants. As he positioned his crimson stocking cap, he figured he would jog the mile so down Washington Street to Cedarville Circle. Then he'd jog back to the Enterprise Building. Maybe Jerry St. Clair's old article would help him find out what happened in this very hallway so many years ago. He looked across the red and yellow maple spread over the common and rehearsed what he was going to say to Miriam Kendall Lincoln. Perhaps he had been a little bit brusque on the answering machine. Jones saw Froggy run out of the alley next to the stationer store. Froggy! Froggy! yelled Jones, picking up the pace toward Main Street. Jones pulled out his cell and called Strickland as he jogged. George Strickland. George, I just saw Froggy run into the alley next to the stationer store. After a silence, Jones spoke again. George, are you there? Mary and I are at Benson's pastry shop. Let him run. Sooner or later, he'll mess up again. Oh, thanks a lot, George, said Jones as he ran onto the sidewalk and started toward Washington Street. Jones ran faster, unnerved that Froggy had messed up the end of the Morgan State game. The north end of Cedarville Circle came into view over the top of the hill. He wondered why Kendall Lincoln had taken so seriously that his patio pavers were of historic value. A loud truck horn sounded behind him, and he quickly darted off the road.
2: Hey, Matthias! yelled
0: Arnie as he threw his cigarette out the window. The sweep of air passed by Jones as the lighted cigarette tumbled across the asphalt and into the fallen leaves. He quickly crossed the road as the Dewa's truck disappeared south of town. After kicking the cigarette on the asphalt, he snuffed it out with a sneaker. Then he trotted over to Cedarville Circle. Cedarville Circle had an assortment of well-kept houses with trimmed green grass. The new asphalt gave the neighborhood a neat appearance. He checked the numbers on the mailbox as he jogged quickly. By the size of the front yard trees, he figured that none of these homes was more than 15 years old. Lincoln had built a massive brown contemporary home with spreading grass along the large lot. Farmland hugged the back of the development. A silver Prius with a blue bumper sticker for Herbert Lane's re-election for district attorney sat in the driveway. The white doors to a two-bay garage were closed. Jones slowed at the driveway and began walking toward the colorful fieldstones. Jones stretched and then walked over each individual fieldstone within the trimmed grass. He rang the doorbell at the storm door as his breath fogged in the air. More cars passed on Washington Street as Jones waited in the autumn sun. Then he heard the inner door open. Yes? said a squeaky little voice. Jones turned to see the tiny woman with sharp dark hair and green reading glasses. She recognized him. Coach Jones, what are you doing here? I left a rather abrupt message on your machine, and I wanted to apologize. I was stupefied by your tone. Well, I can only tell you it wasn't necessary for you to have Herbert Lane's office plant a sign in my backyard. I have no intention of destroying history. History may not be important to most people, but it is only through studying and preserving the past that we understand the present and the future." "'Hear, hear!' said Jones, softly clapping. "'And for your information, my husband spoke with Herbert Lane's office without my approval, but I support his action.' "'He was so nice at the game yesterday. Your husband is Mayor Picotta's personal attorney.' Yes, he is. Well, please let him know that I intend to keep the pavers in place. I didn't realize they were an original part of the home. Archie and I agree that tampering with uh, historical intricacies can be a touchy situation. Jones nodded. Please see Leo Crawley at the gate for any of the fall games, Ms. Lincoln. He'll get you into Larson Stadium. I'm afraid I'm not a football fan, and Archie drags me along. But "'Thank you for the offer. If you need additional information on proper alignment of your pavers, please send me a written request for assistance.' "'Thank you. Nice to see you.' As Jones turned and started up the walk, he heard the inner door close. He could not understand her audacity. Without starting trouble, he had not challenged whether the pavers were original to the home. As he began jogging back to Washington Street, He questioned her ability to think she had the right just to issue some edict willy-nilly about situations she hadn't even researched. He winced at the sign in his backyard as he jogged past his jeep. On the ground behind the jeep lay a rounded bronze cap with wires below, holding back a substance in place. His first thoughts revolved around someone pulling a prank with a small cherry bomb or explosive device. Then his thoughts raced out of control when he was not sure about the substance below the wires. He pushed the speed dial for George Strickland. George, he said to Strickland. You want me to coach your defense? Maybe. Look, there's some device in back of my Jeep. It's wired in. It could be a plastic explosive. After a pause, Strickland spoke. That's odd. I need you to check it out. Yeah, I just got in. I'll be right over. Don't touch it with his cruiser parked diagonal to Jones's jeep. Strickland squatted down toward the metal cap. He tilted his head and then tightened his eyes as he looked up at Jones. "Matthias, this is the top of a champagne bottle. The wire was caged around the cork, said Strickland smiling. You want me to open an investigation to find out where the rest of the bottle is? Oh, very funny, George, I feel like a simpleton. Seriously, you did the right thing. Can't be too careful. What if it was a plastic explosive? I have to meet with McGill. Sorry for bringing you over here. Don't worry about it. You need to relax about this Mobley thing. I can't. It's just too weird. Jones jogged up the connector road around the common to Main Street and toward the yellow-bricked enterprise building in the distance. His side-road theories about Woozy's accident bubbled around his head with no immediate resolution. And Bucky's arrest bothered Jones. And all the time he had known Bucky, he was aware that Bucky always caved under pressure. Yet this time, he had repeatedly listened to Bucky emphatically deny he had driven his own car up Route 32. According to Bucky, he was not driving the security car when it forced Woozy off the road and into the fence and tree. He pushed Woozy's number on the phone. Nice, I'm getting a lot of calls about the fourth quarter. Tell them Froggy was in charge of that disaster. Look, Wooz, did you see any clue as to who was driving Bucky's car? I thought Bucky was under arrest, said Woozy. He's adamant he wasn't driving that car. No way. You saw him? Well, the the car. Then where was he if he wasn't driving his own car? asked Jones. I don't know, Matthias, but what you say is true, why would somebody steal that junk box? My gut reaction is that someone was running away, being chased. I was hurting, Matthias. If somebody was chasing Bucky's car, I didn't see it. Where did the security car end up? Back at Parkview Apartments, said Jones. Bucky's place. Why, well, rest my case. Did you find out who hit you with the football? No, and I just saw Froggy downtown while I was jogging, said Jones. "'After that defense in the fourth, I'd leave town, too,' said Woozy, laughing. "'Take care, Wooz. I'll keep you updated.' Jones opened the door to the Enterprise lobby. Phyllis, a woman in her late forties with dyed brown hair, sat up at the front desk. "'Hello, Matthias. Phyllis, rough game yesterday. "'Don't remind me. Tom is expecting you,' she said, picking up the phone. "'Tom, Coach Jones is here.' "'Okay, Tom.' Go right in, Matthias. Thank you, Phyllis, said Jones as he opened the inner glass door. McGill sat behind his desk, kitty corner to the wall. I'm working on an article about the fourth quarter, Matthias. Froggy is right here in town. I saw him when I was running. Froggy is one weird individual. Are you gonna file charges? asked McGill. Who knows? I will keep him off of campus. Jones pulled up a chair. What have you got? Jerry St. Clair had five articles on the funding of the Hamilton College Science Building. Hamilton needed money because of environmental lawsuits and a loan from the PW credit union that was pulled back. All the stories by Jerry were spiked by Hamilton 25 years ago. Let me boil it down. There used to be a bar in town called Swanson's Bar. A dive. I've heard about it. Harrison Mobley was a regular. This is where Mickey Snowden and his associates met after finalizing a loan in cash to finish the science building for Hamilton. Why did Hamilton use Snowden, Tom? Snowden had other investors that Hamilton allowed to become part of the college. In the wee hours, Mobley heard it all at Swanson's. Seems like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think he liked to snoop on people. Eventually, the beautiful science building came into fruition. Snowden was a thug from Boston before Fiori asked Jones as he now hovered over the desk way back So the mob bailed Hamilton out of a bad situation and by spiking Jerry's stories Hamilton kept the relationship under wraps even from the trustees back then what happened is Mobley who really wanted to take over from Lark at some point was a regimented guy he marched up to Fletcher Hill and he met with Hamilton "'Oh, that was a mistake. Now I get it.' So he pissed off Hamilton. McGill leaned forward, and eventually it got back to Snowden. Wow. And then he understandably left town. Jones thought about Arnie's story about the big blowout at Mobley's house. "'Was Lark involved in this at all?' "'Not that I know of, but who knows?' "'And Mobley had a girlfriend,' said Jones. "'Jerry alluded to that,' said McGill, standing.' I'd like to know where Mobley took off to. Obviously, he was threatened. Jerry dropped the whole thing, so I don't know. Jones nodded. Strickland is running a background check on Mobley. Phyllis crashed through the outer door. Coach Jones! Coach Jones! Yes, Phyllis, said Jones. What is it?
2: Your jeep! It's on
0: fire! Six Feet Under, Chapter Six Later that morning, Coco stood with Jones, still in his jogging clothes at the corner of Shore Road. Jones's jeep, surrounded by yellow crime tape, consisted of a charred frame and a blackened body. Get this through your head, Jonesy. Somebody's upset with you looking into this Mobley thing. Jones ran his fingers along the burnt rear supports. Who? I have my thoughts on this big blowout. None of those people, he said, gesturing toward the burnt wreck. "'would burn my jeep.' "'Is that what it is, Jonesy?' "'Ray, Ralphie will get your wheels "'until the insurance company or the old man coughs up the dough.' "'Thanks,' said Jones. "'What else do you know about the night Mobley "'disappeared?' "'Coco lit a cigarette. Jonesy, "'I was nine years old and my brother Anthony "'was twelve. We were on Canal "'street in P.W. I understand "'that. I'm asking you what you know.' "'Listen, I ain't saying "'nothing.' You talked to the old man this afternoon. Strickland crossed over from his cruiser parked on Main Street. Well, you've rattled somebody's cage, Matthias, said Strickland as one of Ralphie's red flatbed trucks backed down Main Street. Yeah, but who? Strickland pointed at Jones. I ran the background on Mobley. No results for Harrison Mobley anywhere. Jones turned to Coco. I say he was murdered. "'You don't know that, Jonesy.' "'Then where is he?' said Strickland, looking at Coco. "'How would I know, Strickland? I was nine years old and Prince William.' "'I'll call you, George,' said Jones. Strickland nodded. "'I'm waiting to hear from Father Gallagher.' "'Oh, that's right. I missed Sunday Mass.' "'Well, I did too. Apparently one of his parishioners spotted Froggy jogging on the Crosstown Bridge. "'How did he get over there?' Gallagher mentioned the incident in his homily about taking responsibility for your actions. Well, I have to call father. I'll take care of it, Matthias, and I'll let you know if we find Froggy. Thanks, George. As Jones stepped on the sidewalk, Coco rapped his side. Hey, that space cadet Finley might have torched your Jeep, Jonesy. He said he was hanging around the alley. I wouldn't be surprised at all. They headed for Coco's BMW, Jones studied the black and orange Hamilton Historical Society sign and Herbert Lane's order. I left a message on this woman's voicemail. She sounded so elite. So I went over to the house. What a pain. She just thinks she can issue these orders. She's a fruitcake, said Coco as both men got inside. Coco started the car and moved around the corner near Jones's Jeep. Who would want me dead, Coco? "'Snowden is dead, correct?' "'Yeah, he's dead. He was mowed down in the zone 20 years ago.' Coco looked in the rearview mirror. "'Whoever torched your car, Jonesy, was a professional.' "'Why do you say that?' "'Look at it,' he said as he stopped at the Main Street light. "'Burned to a crisp and no collateral damage. "'They were making a statement, not trying to kill you.' "'Maybe you're right,' said Jones as Coco took the turn north toward Fletcher Hill. An amateur would have burnt the fence, the yard, and maybe even your house. Coco thought for a second. Something else. Why would the rodent be racing out of town when he hit Williams' car? He keeps pleading the fifth as to exactly where he was. You're kidding me. No, he won't say. Then he's protecting somebody, Jonesy. Driscoll was doing something he can't talk about. I'd say it was a woman. With that screwball, it could be the neighbor's cat. Put on W.O.F.I., said Jones, checking his watch. A la Wombat. What are you, becoming obsessed with Wombat? Said Coco as they drove out of town. Wombat's been in the club over the years. You want to meet him? He was friends with Lark, said Jones as they headed up Route 32. I wouldn't brag about being friends with Larson. Folks around the area are still wondering what happened to Coach Matthias Jones' defense against Morgan State. What the hell does he think he is?" asked Jones as he listened. Hey, Allo's all right. He just doesn't have the whole Finley story. Can you get him over Club Max so I can talk to him? Yeah, sure. He was always over in PW when the club was the Black Domino. How dumb is Herbert Lane? (laughs) This is choice when he takes down Lane, said Coco. He's so dumb he left his toupee on the dresser at Maggie McRae's house on 7th Street. If that isn't bad enough, Maggie hoisted it up the flagpole. We passed it in our mystery van about an hour ago. He's right, said Coco. Lane hasn't got the brains he was born with, and God didn't put much there to begin with. Jones leaned back and laughed. <laughs> Weather will become wet and wild this week with highs in the upper 40s. Dr. Ettinger has the day off. Huh, without Ettinger, we might get a real forecast, said Jones. I hear you, Jonesy. How long ago did you open Club Max? Damn, we raised the money to open the club maybe 15 years ago. My old man got me a chunk of change to open. You don't talk much about your father. Yeah, but let's leave it that way. Coco shifted and accelerated up the road at high speed. What are you doing, Coco? "'Seeing if the rodent could have gunned it up this road,' he said, downshifting near Woozy's fence. "'The road is straight, but that shitbox probably couldn't hold the road if Driscoll was doing 80.' "'He didn't have to be going that fast,' said Jones, as Coco signaled for Fletcher Hill. "'Right. Yeah, the rodent's a real NASCAR aficionado.' Coco shifted up the narrow drive. "'But if he was going that fast, somebody was chasing the idiot.' Right to the point where he had to pass Woozy on 32. Lane will be involved if Williams press charges. The rodent will crumble under pressure. As Coco sped to the top, Bucky's brown security car was parked half on the lawn and half on the circular drive. Speak of the devil. That dumbbell can't even park that tin can. Wait till the old man gets a load of that. Driscoll is his own worst enemy. Coco parked perpendicular to the Fletcher SUVs in the three garage bays. Someone had settled a small gray monster into the third bay. Who the hell is that? Hey, maybe it's that hot to trot Anna Fletcher back in town. No, thank you, said Jones, stepping onto the drive. They started toward the portico. What's the matter, Jonesy? Too hot to handle? Seems you had your times with Anna, said Jones as they neared the steps. Coco produced a very unusual smile. ''Let me tell you,'' he said as he stepped onto the brick stairs. Hamilton Fletcher stood in the open door. ''I wouldn't get within three thousand miles of that chick.'' ''Is that right?'' asked Hamilton Fletcher as he shook hands with Jones. ''Sir, I didn't know you were there.'' ''I agree with you,'' said Hamilton Fletcher. ''Can I get you boys a drink?'' Jones wondered why Hollings had not answered the front door. ''Yeah, scotch, no ice, please.'' said Coco. Same, said Jones, as they moved into the foyer. Hollings all right, asked Jones. Hollings is fine. He and Juanita are at Delmonico's getting some food for the barbecue this weekend. They trailed Hamilton Fletcher into the study at the end of the hallway. Plus, they both like to gossip. I want reliable witnesses when I deal with Driscoll. Jones looked at Coco and opened his eyes wide as they rounded the corner to the study. In front of the atrium doors, Hamilton Fletcher quickly produced drinks from the well-stocked bar across from his desk. Ham is out by the pool with Driscoll now. We haven't covered and drained the pool yet, and the furniture is still out. Come on, let's get this over with. The sun warmed Jones' face through the foliage, bursting forth with red, orange, and gold coloring, occasionally broken by an evergreen. Bucky sat babbling in a lounge chair, his drink in the glass holder. A hapless ham stood by, (laughs) merely tolerating (laughs) Bucky's grating voice. So I told all them girls I was busy, and they'd have to take a ticket to get in line. (laughs) Said Bucky as he laughed so hard, he tumbled from the lounger onto the cement. Hamilton Fletcher moved ahead of Jones and Coco, toward Bucky plopped on the ground. Get up, Driscoll before I throw you in the pool and place the cover over your fat head." Oh, hi, Mr. F. I was just telling Ham about my escapades in New York City. I don't care if you were hand gliding around the Empire State Building. Bucky grabbed his drink and struggled to stand. Hand gliding above New York City? Yeah, I have to try that. Oh, you'll have plenty of time, said Hamilton Fletcher. Hey, that's swell said Bucky, struggling to keep his balance. Whoopsie! <laughs> that drink made me tipsy. Truer words were never spoken, whispered Jones. What's in the glass, rodent? Tooty fruity Huh? Shut up with your jibber-jabber, Driscoll, yelled Hamilton Fletcher, his face reddening. Bucky pretended to zip his mouth. All locked up. I'll be inside, Dad. Yeah, Right. This guy knows which end is up, said Bucky. (laughs) That's a toss-up, said Jones. You listen to me, Driscoll, said Hamilton Fletcher, pointing. The college pays for all security vehicles, and you seem to think that Route 32 is some kind of racetrack. I didn't do it. Somebody stole it and brought it back to my apartment. Oh, come on, Driscoll. Nobody steals a car and then returns it, shouted Hamilton, getting tense. I didn't do it. I keep hearing that, you little pissant, but you have no alibi for being somewhere else. You put the school in legal jeopardy as well as Woozy Williams' livelihood, and indeed his life by your little stunt. I didn't do it. Somebody took my car. It's not your car. As far as I'm concerned, your alibi has been a joke. Oh yeah? You ain't no judge and jury. We'll see about that, cried Hamilton Fletcher as Jones winced. "'Give me the keys, you ungrateful cretin!' "'I ain't giving up my keys,' said Bucky as he clasped the keys and locked his arms over his chest. "'You're all done, Driscoll,' said Hamilton Fletcher. "'You're probably responsible for burning Matthias's jeep!' "'I'm innocent!' Coco moved forward. "'All right, Rodent, give Mr. Fletcher the keys and beat it!' "'I didn't do it! I wasn't driving my car!' "'Then where were you, Bucky, and who took the car?' asked Jones." "'All you have to do is tell us.' "'Yes, Driscoll,' said Hamilton Fletcher. "'Where were you?' "'Nowhere,' he said as he backed up. "'You're a liar, weasel,' said Coco as he went to grab Bucky's arm. Bucky dodged left, slipped on the cement berm, and fell back into the pool, producing a prodigious splash. His security guard hat floated on the pool surface. When he did not come up, Jones moved to the edge of the pool.' Did he bang his head? asked Jones. (laughs) No such luck, Jonesy. He's swimming to the other side of the pool. All three men started around the pool perimeter. I'll say this for the rodent. He can hold his sewer breath under the water. Bucky emerged like an orca whale and slid on his stomach across the tiles like a seal going after food. Hold it right there, Driscoll, ordered Hamilton Fletcher. I don't want to have to call George Strickland. Bucky slipped on the grass and dodged the wildflowers in the garden behind the mansion. He held the belt of his falling pants and disappeared around the corner of the garage. Jones raced ahead of Coco and Hamilton Fletcher, but when he got to the front of the estate, Bucky had disappeared. Well, where is he? Coco smiled at both men. Ha, looks like Humpty Dumpty is running away from home. A few minutes later, after Hollings and One Eater had returned from Delmonico's, They were summarily ordered by Hamilton Fletcher to bring an assortment of food and drinks to the pool area. Juanita said she didn't see Driscoll when you two were driving back from town. No, sir, replied Hollings. You mean that chubby little man with the annoying laugh? Yeah, that's him, said Jones. We were traveling very slowly up Route 32, said Hollings. We certainly would have seen him. Fine, fine, said Hamilton Fletcher from the lounge chair. At least somebody's traveling up 32, under 100 miles an hour. Hamilton Fletcher looked up at Jones. Matthias, have Jefferson's hardware. Change the security shack locks before Driscoll robs us blind. Sure. I can have Ralphie tow the car over to his brother-in-law's garage, grease his auto body. They can redo the keys in the column. It needs repair work from where Driscoll did his Mickey Mouse job with the spray paint. Just crush it. Ralphie can do that. And now let's get down to business. Listen, sir, I've told Jonesy zilch. Hamilton Fletcher nodded and stared toward the mansion before he spoke. Matthias, we all have things in our past that are better left unsaid. Sometimes we do things, uh, well, for the betterment of other causes. Yes, sir, answered Jones. Hamilton Fletcher held his glass and stared toward his multi-winged home. He squinted in the sunlight as he spoke. Very simple. Mickey Snowden funded the science building here on campus, and the relationship with his successes has continued with the mediation of Coco. What about Harrison Mobley? Where is he? I don't know where the son of a bitch is. What happened at my house 25 years ago? Asked Jones as he sat in the adjacent chair. Hamilton stared and then raised his brows as he inhaled. Arnie Dewis saw quite a bit. Never mind, doers. Hamilton Fletcher stood and set down his drink. Mobley threatened to inform the trustees in the district attorney's office. I threw him off the grounds and called LG. We were all younger then. Three days later, LG informs me that Mobley might request a meeting with the DA. So I drove my car over to the house, your house, now. That's when everything went off the rails. Mickey Snowden shows up. Jones gawked at Hamilton Fletcher. Wow. Mobley's paramour bolted out the kitchen door. It was a side door back then. And some little Jap car picked her up. There was mud all over the kitchen floor. Mud? That's not important. Snowden had a gun and was prepared to use it. He told Mobley he was a nosy bastard. Mobley was a fool to be messing around with Snowden, said Coco. That's right, Coco, said Hamilton Fletcher. When you face superior authority, you back off. But Mobley told him to go to hell. And Mickey shot him. Mobley staggered to the kitchen table and fell onto the chair. There was blood everywhere. And Mickey yells out, Let that be a lesson to challenging Mickey Snowden. Was he dead? asked Jones. Who knows? I got the hell out of there. I tripped over a bicycle at the curb, hurt my ankle, and went straight to LG's office. I never saw Mickey again. I heard he was killed a couple of years ago in Boston, in the combat zone. Well, Mickey could have murdered Mobley. Well, he could have. LG went over there and everything had been cleaned up. The blood, the dirt, the whole shooting match. Where was Mobley? asked Jones. LG called Dr. Bradgate, who checked all the hospitals down to Boston and up to Portland. Where was Mobley? Hamilton Fletcher shook his head. I just want you to know that I didn't shoot him. But I sure as hell wanted to. Thanks for putting it in perspective, said Jones, imagining all this going on inside his colonial. Wait, there's more. Larson. I tripped over that bike and I got in my car. I was facing down Shore Road when Larson in white pants and a blue blazer and a bow tie came staggering down like a drunken sailor up the highway. His pants were covered with dirt. Weird. He went back in the house, but I didn't hang around. If you think Larson killed Mobley, forget it. Larson is and was a buffoon. But you don't know, said Jones. No, I don't. And LG saw the car from his office, a Toyota, circling the common. Who was the girlfriend and who was driving the Toyota, asked Jones. LG walked down from his office after I told him what happened. He told me to go back to Fletcher Hill. According to LG, the Toyota showed up in front of your house when LG got back to Ed Norris's office. LG worked for Norris back then. Did anyone go inside? I would assume so. I spoke with LG this morning. Before I got the go-ahead, he said Logic would have told him somebody was inside that house. Does anyone know the identity of the girlfriend? Good question. I've asked Larson that a dozen times over the years. I've threatened him, but he won't talk. L.G. always says to forget the whole thing. Lark calls it the big blowout, said Jones. Well, Larson was inside because L.G. verified that dipshit do is his story. Larson ran from the house and back to his car down the road toward the beach and then drove back toward town. By the way he drove that car, I'd say he hadn't sobered up one bit. He hit that bike I tripped over and crushed the corner of the picket fence. He drove a red DeSoto. I remember it. Coco looked at the old man. Sir, this is the biggest cluster. Listen, not even Ham knows any of this. You two and my cousin PJ in Chicago know the whole story. And LG, of course. And that's the whole story? asked Jones. Thias, that's the way I saw it. I got my science building, and Snowden isn't around to bother me, and Mobley left town. Jones walked up to Hamilton Fletcher. He looked into the old man's blue eyes. Maybe. Six Feet Under. Chapter Seven. I'm Arlo Wombat, your traveling, dabbling, and sometimes nail-biting reporter for Prince William and vicinity. I'm traveling in the mobile RV of mystery over the Crosstown Bridge. I'm looking south toward the ocean and north up to the coast of Maine. It looks clear now, but what lies ahead? WFI's Weather Guy, the Extraordinary, the Stupendous, the Fabulous... Our own doctor Murray Ettinger. Do you see clear skies ahead, Doctor Ettinger? Jones shook his head. I'm not exactly a fan of Arle Wombat. I hear you, Jones. Do you want me to change the channel? No no, keep it on. If you say so, Hotshot. The seasonal the interseasonal variation leads to an inversion of the juxtaposition of the jet streams countervailing, reverting. This is what I'm talking about, Coco. Arlo came back on the air. And now the translation. We have a storm coming up the coast for the next few days. Don't forget the countervailing reverting. No, we'll keep that in mind, Doctor. For Halloween, I understand Dr. Ettinger is going out as a German Rottweiler. His tail always points toward the storm tracks. Thank you, Doctor. As I cruise by City Hall, I give a high and a hidey-ho to Mayor Picotter and his gang. We'll be back. Jones looked out the window as they drove past the rhododendrons and pines back to Route 32. Has he got any audience, Coco? I don't think so, Jonesy. Bruno and I were looking to run an ad for the club, but his audience was a joke. Loyal, but they're all old-timers like Larson. I believe it. But Arlo knew Mobley. Yeah, so what? asked Coco. Coco, I'm not sure that Mobley wasn't murdered. Coco stopped the BMW at the bottom of Fletcher Hill. He shifted the car into neutral and turned to Jones. Jonesy, I hear you. This Mobley thing is all messed up. And? Why did that dummy Larson drive that DeSoto away from Mobley's house? He raced the DeSoto as if he were drunk, like a wild man back to a town. Arnie saw it. Normally I'd throw anything Dewis says into the garbage heap. He was just a creep with binoculars, but he saw Larson race around the corner. Jones stared out the window. Was Lark in the house? The old man just told you. Mickey Snowden shot Mobley. But did he kill Mobley? <laughs> Is that one of your side road theories, Jonesy? Asked Coco as he shifted back toward town and accelerated. I say we find that bumbler Lawson Larson and hear what he has to say. Maybe there's a babe involved. Lawson was some kind of Don Juan years ago. I'll park in town who'll walk over there and take him off guard. The red voicemail light flashed on Jones's phone. He pushed the access and lifted the phone to his ear. The shrill and direct voice felt as if he were jolted with an electric current.
2: Mr. Jones, how dare you defy my edict
0: concerning your patio repair? What's this twit talking about? What's the matter, Jones? He's some bimbo giving you grief? You and your contractor will be targeted. This country runs on laws, not on what some jock coach thinks he can do. Good day, sir. Not a bimbo. It's that woman from the Historical Society, Miriam Kendall Lincoln. She's contacted the district attorney's office. Are you telling me she's bringing in Lane because of some work on a patio? Let me hear that again.
1: Mr.
2: Jones. How dare you defy my edict concerning your patio repair?
0: You and your contractor will be targeted. This country runs on laws, not on what some jock coach thinks he can do. Good day, sir. I'm not listening to this fool. Trying to protect patio pavers? you better listen. Her husband is Picada's attorney. I know, I know. This is ridiculous. Coco slowed toward the center of town and shifted into the parking space on Main Street beyond Fernie McShane's house. Calm down, Jonesy. Okay, let's hear what Lark has to say. Yeah, then we'll get it translated at the mental hospital. He might have that one bit of information about what happened. Coco turned up the volume and Arlo's voice filled the car again. Remember, tomorrow night we'll be doing a benefit for Christmas presents for stragglers. That's at the VFW Hall in Prince William at 6 p.m. for a spaghetti dinner. Hey, I got toys from stragglers when I was a kid and so did my brother Anthony. I guess I'll is alright then. Yeah, if you like oval-boiled spaghetti with mingo sauce, tomato soup if you're lucky, mingo sauce, something Lawson invented with ketchup and mustard and brandy. I'll pass. Coco stood in front of the two identical houses down Main Street from Franny's home. Lark's home was currently painted beige and flows a deep green. Coco tightened his brow. His silver cross earring reflected in the afternoon sunlight. He turned toward Jones. What kind of screwballs live in twin houses? How much time do you have? No time larson is always a waste of time 25 years is a long time whatever went on inside that house is gone unless larson starts running at the mouth maybe we should have brought him a bottle of wine coco backhanded jones his shoulder with his fingers if he clams up i'll get him over the club with a few of the girls he'll start blabbing with a little nudge you really want lark at club max you're right That clown is a walking disaster area. I'm trying to help you, Jonesy. I know, I know. Thanks.
2: Oh, Coach Jones!
0: (laughs) Said Flo Nightingale in her squeaky voice as she stood in the doorway of the deep green house.
2: Howdy doody!
0: Coco rolled his eyes. Ah, what a dum-dum. Matching bookends, Coco opened his eyes wide and followed Jones up the cement walk. Hello, Flo. "'Who's your friend?' (laughs) she asked, twirling her fingers. Coco lit a cigarette. "'This is Mr. Stefani.' "'Hello, Mr. Stevens!' Coco Winston inhaled on the cigarette. "'Is Lark here?' "'Well, he's not here. He would be at his own house, which, of course, is a home adjacent to mine.' (laughs) Flo giggled and Coco faced Main Street and again took a drag on the cigarette as he shook his head. "'Could you ask Lark if he can come out?' "'Oh, come out and play?' asked Flo, giggling again. Now Coco took two steps down the walk and ground the cigarette into the cement. Then he lit another cigarette. "'Lock!' she screeched, and Jones instinctively covered his ears. "'Lock!' Coco took two more steps down the walk. Jones looked toward the beige house front door. He thought he saw the white-haired lock in the upstairs window. "'Call him, Flo.' Who? she asked with a befuddled expression. Lark, did you see him? Jones took out his phone and pushed in Lark's number. The line rang for the longest time before Lark answered in a weak voice. Hello? Lark, we need you to come outside, said Jones as he checked the other yards for Lark's long brown car. Sorry, Matthias, I'm in Prince William. Lark, come on. Coco turned around 20 feet down the walk. I saw you upstairs. Must have been a reflection. Is that Coco with you? I thought you were in Prince William. Coco threw his cigarette to the pavement, and stomped up the walk. Give me that phone, Jonesy. Hey, Lawson. he said, gripping the phone. You get that fat ass of yours out here, I'm coming in. Sorry, I'm in the little boy's room. I don't care if you're at Mother McCrae's whorehouse. Flo raised her hands to her mouth and gasped. <laughs> You have one minute, doofus. Coco handed the phone back to Jones. He's pretty stubborn, said Jones. Don't I know it, said Flo. He'll be out, said Coco, pinching the cigarette. Jones noticed Father Gallagher's long black sedan pull in ahead of the BMW. Jones placed his phone into his Parker pocket. Lark, in a light blue blazer, appeared in Flo's doorway and walked onto the porch. Hidey-ho! Coco did a double take. What do you got a tunnel to your girlfriend's house, Lawson? Lark adjusted his silver-rimmed glasses. That's a good idea, Coco. Jonesy, I ain't got time for this happy. Ho- I need to talk to you for a few minutes," said Jones, approaching Lark. I'm a busy man, Matthias. Oh yeah, real busy. Coco formed his fingers in a circle and produced a shrill whistle. Come on, Lawson. Party's over. Jones escorted Lark down the walk. I'm here to talk about what happened 25 years ago. Oh, God, said Lark, starting to hunch over. Oh, God! Come on, Lawson, man up! I'm doomed! Jones spotted Father Gallagher lingering on the sidewalk near Franny's house. Then he turned to Lark, who now had beads of sweat across his forehead. Lark, you sped by Mobley's house in your DeSoto. Am I under oath? This is a private conversation, you idiot, said Coco. You were inside that house and drunk as a skunk. Why the hurry in that DeSoto, asked Jones. Oh, Matthias, that was a long time ago, said Lark, shifting his weight from foot to foot. Coco walked directly up to Lark. You come barrel-assing up Shore Road, you smash over some bike and hit the fence, then you fishtail back to a town. "'So you were in Mobley's house before the old man and Snowden got there, "'and there was some chick in there, Larson. Who who was she?' "'I'm asserting my rights under the 25th Amendment not to incriminate myself.' "'That's the Fifth Amendment, Lark,' said Jones. "'What did you see, Larson?' asked Coco as he went nose-to-nose with the older man. "'I'm asserting my rights under—' "'I'm about a second away from Colin Picada's office, and he'll get Lane involved in this.' Lane? I'm doomed, yelled Lark in a quivering voice. Why can't we just forget this? Because you broke the law, moron, shouted Coco, prompting Lark to step back. But Coco followed him. Somebody murdered Mobley, right, Larson? Jones did a double take. Well, I would have no knowledge who killed Mobley, Larson, yelled Coco as Gallagher started up the sidewalk toward them. Harrison threatened me. What do you mean by that, Lark? Lark looked back toward Flo in the doorway. He was a rat. The woman who left in the Toyota, said Jones. Who was she? Lark nervously shook his head from side to side. I need to talk to LG. I'm a victim of circumstance. You're a victim of no brain power, snapped Coco. You know who that girlfriend was. Well, if that's all, said Lark, "'I'm going to call Fiore down in Boston, Larson. "'We'll find out what we want to know.' "'I never should have had that bottle of Uncle Whisker's Alabama whiskey,' "'said Lark as he grabbed the pipe banister and staggered back toward Flo's house. "'Lark did not answer as he opened the screen door and moved inside. "'He knows the woman, Jonesy. "'Maybe Larson had something going on with her, too. "'Keep forgetting that Lark was younger, then,' said Jones." Younger, (laughs) but just as dumb. Two things, Coco, said Jones as the orange-haired Gallagher walked up to them. Hello, Father. Matthias, Coco, I didn't see you in mass this morning. Jonesy's jeep got torched, Father. Gallagher's face became serious. What happened? Are you all right? Jones nodded. Yeah, we're just trying to find out who did it. Flo waved from the door. Oh, Father Jerry Donahue! How are you? Good morning, Mrs. Larson. Oh, no! (laughs) I'm Miss Nightingale! (laughs) She has my name confused, because Arnie Doers can't get my name straight, said Gallagher. I'm here to plan that ecumenical service with Pastor Sykes from First Parish Church, said Jones. Let's have some dinner later at the Colonial House Jim. said Jones. Sounds good. You two look as though you're in the middle of something. Father, said Coco, I think we're right back where we started. Six Feet Under, Chapter 9 Jones remembered the U-taxi dropping him off in front of the house after 2 a.m. He was not drunk, but feeling pretty good, having consumed a few more beers and having spent the last couple of hours dancing with Bibi at the club. Around 12.45, according to the blue neon rim clock behind the bar, some blonde-haired brute named Derek appeared at the bar. He was unshaven, had a scar down his neck, and said he was looking for his B.B. Jones was reminded of Gallagher's advice about getting into trouble at Club Max. By 1 o'clock, he did not see B.B. or Derek. Coco had left the club, and Jones took the U taxi back to Hamilton. On his voicemail during the night, Coco reassured him that Derek was Bebe's brother. Jones, still troubled by Arlo's information about Lark and the question of blackmail by Mobley, checked his watch. He soon realized he had been sleeping for eight hours. The room had brightened, but he heard rain hitting the roof. He kicked off the covers and stretched out. Then he heard a jackhammer. He rolled out of bed and peered out the shore road window as the car turned the corner and zoomed toward the beach. As he descended the stairs, a cooling breeze plowed up the staircase. Then he also smelled hot chocolate. As he rounded the hallway, he saw an older, unshaven man and two other men, younger and rangy, sitting at his kitchen table. It's about time you got your sorry ass out of bed, said the old guy. Who the hell are you? Don't play that innocent routine with me. And what's that smell? You boys shower this week? He asked the two grubby-looking men. We swam the quarry that day, and it was fifty degrees, Bose said the long-necked man sitting next to Jones's cabinets. Light Iron Man, who the hell are you guys, asked Jones, as he looked toward the rain-pelted sliders. Listen, chump, you're the one who hired us to do the job. I never hired you. The long-necked guy, called Slappy, picked up a knife off the counter. Don't push me. Jones crossed the kitchen and opened the sliders. Bucky Driscoll slowly shoveled dirt out of a rectangular hole in his patio. His Aussie hat was strapped around his flabby chin. He wore a soaked t-shirt that read, The Patio Boys. Bucky, what have you done to my patio? The Historical Society will go ballistic. Hey, this guy's got to work, Matthias. he got me the job. You have to put footings down six feet. "'said Bose. "'Jones's mouth remained open for several seconds "'as he panned the huge pile of dirt behind Bucky. "'Get to work, Briscoe! "'Yes, sir, Mr. Bose, I'm shoveling, I'm shoveling. "'No!' yelled Jones. "'Stop! Stop right now!' "'The Iron Man raised his fist and spoke with an Irish grove. Why, well, you dirty, rotten shizler, "'backing out of a job, I'm gonna beat you to a pulp!' As he moved toward Jones, Jones lifted his clenched fists and hit the Iron Man square with a stinging jab. The Iron Man went flying against the lower cabinets and lay unconscious on the floor. Oh said Slappy, nobody ever fought the Iron Man before. He was undefeated. Unless he was sucker punched, said Bose, squinting. The guy came after me, said Jones, as he removed the knife from the counter and headed outside into the drizzle. Come on, Bucky, you're all done. Yeah, but Bo said... Forget what Bo said, said Jones, extending his hand down the hole. Pulling the tubby Bucky out of the hole proved a challenge. Several times, Bucky fell back into the dirt. Finally, with both hands locked around Bucky's wrists, Jones walked Bucky onto the pavers. Thanks, Matthias, I didn't know how I was going to get out. Look, Bucky, I'm sorry you lost your job, but he looked around and sniffed the air. It stinks out here. I didn't do it. Right, right, said Jones. You probably should go home and shower. Nah, I don't want to wake Evelyn. Uh-oh. Whoopsie. Bucky quickly covered his mouth with his hand. Jones spun around. Wait a minute. you have Arnie's sister sleeping in your apartment? Dias, you can't tell anybody. Evelyn will kill me. So that's it. You were in your place with Evelyn Dewitt," said Jones, pausing and trying to get that bizarre thought out of his head. Right when your car was stolen. But it was brought back. Ah, I guess somebody borrowed it. All right, I have to deal with these Jamotes. No, their last name is Branigan. Right, take care, Bucky. Wait, wait, said Bucky as he lowered his voice. You can make some big bucks, Matthias. How's that, Bucky? Asked Jones, taking one step toward the kitchen. Dinosaurs. Bucky, you really tax my patience. Arnie says there's dinosaur bones all over Prince William County, and the museums pay big bucks. Good. You and Arnie get your pick and shovels and have a great time. Jones did not see the Brannigan boys in the kitchen as he stepped across the pavers. Then he stopped. Professor Mobley rocketed into his head. As he turned, Bucky picked up his jacket off the patio. Goodbye, Matthias. Bucky, where are the bones? Right next to that gas line I hit. You what? Asked Jones. Why do you think it stinks out here? Asked Bucky as he moved toward the shrubbery gate. I don't believe this, said Jones, afraid even his cell could ignite the gate in the air. He would have to call on his landline before something set off an explosion. I hope you realize you nearly blew up half the block said Tex, the gas company foreman. gas crew in their yellow hard hats surrounded the ditch in the backyard. Jones studied the name on his blue uniform. Look, Tex, I had nothing to do with this. The patio boys did it. Tex climbed back in the hole with one of his guys. Yeah, well, you can try and weasel out of this, Jones. You're gonna be fined. Count on it. Strickland exited the cruiser and hurried through the gate into the backyard. What the hell is going on here, Matthias? It's a pool party, George. Not funny. You almost blew up the neighborhood, exclaimed Strickland, looking at the pile of dirt in the rectangular hole. Plus, there was an order in place by the historical commission not to disturb this site. You should be yelling at Bose Branigan, George. Well, you're the one who hired him and his goofball sons to have Bucky Driscoll fooling around with gas lines. Wait a minute, George. Hey, Matthias! Jones closed his eyes briefly. Arnie got out of his blue pickup on Shore Road. He kicked open the gate and walked up to Strickland and Jones. Arnie, we don't need your nonsense right now. Hey, I'm just trying to help. So George, said Jones, I wake up to Bo's and his clowns down in my kitchen. Told you, Matthias, hiring them. That's just it. He called me last week about working on the patio, but I never hired him. I practically hung up on them. They're idiots. So you're telling me you didn't hire Bose and company, asked Strickland. Right. Hey, that's not what I heard, said Arnie, now smoking a cigarette near the cordoned-off hole. Shut up, Arnie. Hey, Bose is pretty upset. I couldn't care less if Bose is upset. You're the one who told him to call me. You begged me to get the patio boys, replied Arnie. Don't push me, Arnie, said Jones, pointing. Arnie, why don't you beat it? Hey, I'm not the one who has to deal with Herbert Lane, said Arnie as he slinked along the hedges toward the gate. So, Matthias, I'll straighten this out with Tex over here, said Strickland. Arnie called from the gate. Kendall Lincoln told Picada that Matthias said she could take her court order and Arnie, shut up, yelled Strickland. If anyone's in trouble, it's you. Arnie stood by the pickup door. Yeah, wait until Lane gets a hold of you. Muddy says you'll do time. Strickland grabbed Jones' shoulder as he started toward Arnie. I've about had it with Arnie's big mouth, George. Forget him. You're right. He is in trouble if he sent Bose over here. Chief Strickland, shouted Tex. It's the line all right, Tex? Taken care of it, but you better get over here. Sure. Jones stared at Arnie, still not inside the truck. Strickland cupped his hand. Matthias, over here. Yeah, George, said Jones. He walked up to the edge of the hole. Texas's work boot was positioned in the dirt around six inches from the skeletal remains of a human hand and forearm. Strickland's dark eyes focused on Jones. This is the end of the line. Maybe the Mobley mystery has been solved. I'm not so sure, George. By late afternoon, Jones's backyard had been surrounded by a plastic mesh hurricane fence. Television trucks and radio vans with their microwave antennas were parked along Shore Road. Clayton Morris's medical examiner's station wagon had been back into the gate area for hours. Police from Prince William stood on either side of the gate as well as along the shrubbery and in the front of Jones's Colonial. From the kitchen TV, Herbert Lane, his clipped gray toupee firmly in place, stepped up to the microphones with his assistant, the gaudy Roland Chance, who was loaded with gold jewelry. Nigel leaned toward the set on the counter. I'm sure Hamilton Fletcher is watching this at Fletcher Hill. At least Herbert will keep the college out of this. He wouldn't be that dumb. Jones chuckled as he sipped on his cranberry juice. Oh, give him a chance, Nigel. Jones's cell phone rang. Jones! Jonesy, what the hell is going on over there? We have a body, Coco, said Jones as Nigel headed back inside. You called it, Jonesy. Under my patio. Huh, Lane has gone to flap his trap. and Channel 10 just said Driscoll found the body. What the hell is that moron doing digging in your backyard? He was working for Bose. I can't believe my ears. You
2: hired that fool?
0: No, Arnie Dewar sent him over here. I never authorized it, and Bose hired Bucky because he was looking for work. Ah, this is a perfect job match. The rodent and the snake. Jones grinned as Herbert Lane cleared his throat and spoke. Citizens of Prince William County, I am here to inform you that through the diligent efforts of the district attorney's office, I am ready to announce the discovery of a body here at Number One Shore Road in Hamilton. However, this is not something that just happened. This body has been buried under a patio for at least two decades. We are working closely with the Hamilton Police Department, George Strickland, as well as State Police Captain Harris, and the college at Hamilton. The identity of this individual is not known at this time. Ah, I knew he'd bring the college into this, said Jones. The old man hates Lane, even though he pays money to his campaign. Lane continued. "'This home has been owned by numerous Hamilton College professors over the years "'and is presently owned by Coach Matthias Jones.' "'Ah, what an idiot,' said Coco. "'Great,' said Jones, pursing his lips. "'Yes, Hamilton,' said Nigel outside the sliders on his cell phone. "'I did not know that Herbert would mention the college. "'Yes, I'll tell him you wish to speak with him.' "'Jones's second line flashed with the call letters for Channel 10.' Channel 10 is calling me. Don't answer it, Jonesy. They'll stop making things up. Lane now answered questions from the reporters. Bill Scoby from the Evening News spoke up first. Mr. District Attorney, um, who would do such a thing? Lane stared at Scobie for several seconds. Well, I uh, just don't know. So you're saying that a person was murdered? Asked the court reporter, Kara Collins. How the hell do I know? Don't put words in my mouth, Kara," erupted Lane. Who are your suspects? asked a blonde haired woman by the edge of the hole. The man in the moon. Lane pointed his finger. Did I say there were suspects? You people all like a headline. Roland Chance checked his gold Rolex. You're speaking too long, Herbert. Shut up, Roland. I'll say whatever the hell I want to say. <laughs> what a real class act. ''How does he win elections?'' asked Jones. ''He cheats,'' said Coco. ''Listen, the skinny from Picada's office is that Lincoln is suing you on behalf of the wife, the historical lady.'' ''Come on.'' ''Call Bentley before they jump on you, Jonesy.'' ''I didn't do anything.'' (laughs) ''That doesn't matter when it comes to lawyers, bro. Let Bentley handle it.'' ''Do you know Chick Corey?'' asked Jones. "'Of course I know Chick Cory. "'You taken up boxing after you knocked out the Iron Man, Jonesy?' "'asked Coco, laughing. "'Mobley's girlfriend, the one with the charm bracelet, "'worked out at Chick Cory's gym, according to Arlo.' "'So what?' "'She might have been the woman picked up in the Toyota. "'Maybe she killed Mobley.' "'If I were you, Jonesy, I'd worry more about Derek Gataki, Bibi's brother, guy's done time in the Atlantic pen.' Why is he upset with me? Look, uh, he and I never got along. Man liked to sell drugs to kids. I dropped a dime to the feds because the guy's no good. He never should have been in the club. The claw is following him. He knows you're my friend, so he wants you away from BB. I didn't know the scum was back in town. Great. What about Chick? Can you get me in there? Yeah, sure. But I think you're wasting your time grilling Chick. Let Morris and his goons at the coroner's office find out who owns those bones. I'll talk to you. Strickland moved past Nigel, still talking with Hamilton Fletcher. Having been taken off his boat, Strickland wore a white undershirt under his unzipped blue police jacket. He glanced at the TV and faced Jones. Well, Lange just put his foot in his mouth. The epitome of tact, said Jones. That's good, that's good. Keep this under your hat, Matthias, and this is preliminary. Clayton is talking about those remains being female. From what you said, Mobley had a girlfriend from Corey's gym in PW. I understand that, but we don't know who she was, other than she was picked up by a Toyota. Hamilton must know that answer, or even Lark. Snowden was the rogue element. This is a legal matter now, not conjecture. So you're saying Mobley killed the girlfriend and disappeared? Asked Strickland, again checking the TV. Maybe, but let me run with this side road theory. What if somebody was in love with this dead woman? And killed both Mobley and the woman? Right, because the Toyota came back after Lark left. Arthur Conan Doyle is in my midst. Watch it, George. Jones nodded as, on TV, Bucky Driscoll, back in his security uniform, stood up by the common. Jones ran to the window and saw the TV lights and the reporter in front of Bucky. Your name, sir? She said, extending out the microphone. Uh, I'm Officer Driscoll. What kind of nonsense is this? Officer Driscoll, I understand your investigation has uncovered a body in back of this colonial on the Hamilton Common. Yes, that is true, Caroline. Kara? Huh? What gave you the clues to the location of the body, Officer Driscoll? "'Well, we investigators have our techniques,' said Bucky, holding his belt loops. "'That's enough,' exclaimed Strickland as he stormed down the hallway and toward the front door. Jones grinned and looked back at the TV set. "'When did you alert your superiors?' asked the reporter. "'Oh, no, they came to me, knowing my ability to get to the heart of an investigation.'" Bucky looked to his left, and Jones heard Strickland yelling on the TV set. Uh-oh. Gotta go. Bye. Bucky darted right and back toward Shore Road. The screen picture switched to Jones's backyard and Herbert Lane trying to order around the gray-bearded Clayton Morris. Jones called Clayton's cell phone. Clayton removed the phone from his pocket. Matthias. I'm in the house and saw Herbert sticking his nose into your business, Clayton. Herbert Lane began chiding, rolling Chance as Clayton looked toward the sliders. Was it a male or female? I can't tell you that right now. Okay, does the body have a charm bracelet? No, no charm bracelet. One more thought, Clayton. Is it possible there are two bodies down there? Why do you say that, Matthias? Asked Clayton, looking toward Jones and the slider doors. Because Professor Mobley had a girlfriend and she is unknown and may have worked out at Corey's gym. That was 25 years ago, according to Strickland, so you think Mobley and this body were buried under your patio. Right. It's worth checking. I don't know about that. You just have to have somebody dig. You have nothing to lose. I'll have to check with George. But thanks for getting Herbert off my back. Let me know, Clayton. Clayton nodded and placed the phone back in his coat pocket. Jones's door opened. The red-haired Franny McShane lifted a tray from the front step. She wore her aqua-colored waitress uniform under her suede coat. Franny! How about some chow, Coach? Wow, thanks. What do you have? Turkey dinner, she said smiling and opened the silver cover. Jones sniffed the turkey. That smells great, thank you. My pleasure. I'm sure you've had it with the press and Herbert Lane and all over your backyard. Herbert was just on TV. Oh, we all saw it at the Colonial House. They're still laughing when I left. And Bucky was on TV, too. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Sit down, Matthias, she said, serving the steaming plate. Bucky made an ass out of himself. Franny looked down at Jones and raised her brows. His trademark. Six Feet Under, Chapter 8 in the corner booth at the busy colonial house, Jones finished chewing the last portions of the thick, juicy steak. Father Gallagher sipped on a tiny cup of espresso as Franny returned to the table. I know you want a double serving of carrot cake, Father. Gallagher smiled. I think I'm getting a reputation, Franny. Bias? she asked Jones as he stared out the main street windows. Jones looked up. Yes, Franny? Dessert, my dear? Oh, sorry. Matthias is troubled by the Professor Mobley matter, said Gallagher. And the verdict? Smiled Franny. Jones shook his head. One big mess. Nobody knows what eventually happened to Mobley, and we have no idea about Mobley's girlfriend. We have established that Mickey Snowden, the gangster, shot Mobley. Not enough to kill him, said Gallagher. Gallagher raised his brows. We don't know that, Jim said Jones as he began to recount the rest. Lark appears to have been there and fled the scene. A mystery woman was picked up by a brown Toyota, Snowden we know about, and Hamilton Fletcher in his Lamborghini. Who drove that Toyota, asked Gallagher. Don't know, said Jones. Wasn't George going to run a background check on Mobley? Asked Franny. Jones pointed as if he were giving a speech. There's no record of Harrison Mobley anywhere. He had a signed contract for another five years as poli professor and assistant coach to Lark. Gallagher rolled his eyes. The assistant coach to a legend. Jones laughed. <laughs> now, now, Jim. Not good. I'll get you a carrot cake too, Matthias, said Franny as she scurried toward the kitchen. Gallagher leaned toward Jones. Matthias. You may just have to accept that you'll never get answers. I don't accept that. Someone is still walking around if Mobley was murdered. If, if. What if Mobley did leave town and changed his name? Asked Gallagher. I believe he was murdered, said Jones. Maybe by Mickey Snowden. Jones' cell rang on the table. He saw Strickland's name on the screen. It's George, said Franny. Thank you, Franny, said Jones. He picked up the phone and answered well, howdy doody, George. Sias, I'm just getting into Prince William. One of Don Chico's guys just picked up Froggy Finley on the crosstown bridge. <laughs> you should have let him jump, laughed Jones. Jones thought he heard Strickland laugh. <laughs> Actually, he was pedaling a bike that he stole in Jefferson Heights. Then Strickland chuckled. Told Officer Primmins he was heading to L.A. What? Crimmins asked him about your Jeep, but he refused to answer. We have him on the stolen bike charge, but big deal. But I also have a witness as to what happened at your game. Really? Wendell's nephew, Binky, was at the game. That kid is a real wise-ass, George. I understand that, but he saw froggy slip around. He in some money behind the bleachers and handed him a football. His exact words were, don't miss. Well, well. I figure you'll be over to press charges. We've got Froggy dead to right. And Wendell is picking up Brownie. Yeah, I'm pressing charges. I'll be over. And then I'm heading to Club Max tonight. It's hard to believe that idiot hired someone to put you out of action so he could call the place. Believe it, George. The guy is a psycho. Jones cut the call. They found Froggy, said Gallagher. He stole some kid's bike and was pedaling to... It doesn't matter, Jim. Wendell's nephew heard Froggy paying Brownie Plimpton to hit me with the football. Doesn't Brownie own that surf shop near the beach? asked Gallagher. Right. Wendell is going to pick him up. Franny returned with a creamy frosted cake, larger than two settings for Gallagher and one setting for Jones. Oh, dear God, said Gallagher. Sinful, sinful. What a way to go, said Jones. Gallagher raised a chunk on his fork. Then he slipped it in his mouth and savored the flavor. Now, this Club Max expedition, said Gallagher. Going to Club Max is inviting temptation. Father, I promise I'll behave myself. Plus, I'm filing charges against Froggy. And just how are you getting to Prince William with no transportation? You don't know anyone that lives in Prince William, do you, Father? Matthias, sometimes I think Coco is having a bad influence on you." After 9 p.m., Jones stepped into the raucous, smoke-filled atmosphere of Club Max. The noise level bothered him, but he liked the band. He stepped along the bar and caught the slick-haired Bruno's eye. Hey, Jonesy, I heard you've been downtown, filing charges. Word travels fast, said Jones, as Bruno slid him a beer. Did that dipshit really hire somebody to take you out of the game? He did, said Jones. We can call uh, somebody to take care of him, said Bruno with a serious face. Pops have him, said Jones. The silky, straight-haired BB wore a tight, ivory-colored satin dress. She had matching, shiny shoes with stilettos and focused her eyes on Jones. Jonesy, am all right? Sure, BB, how about you? I wasn't hit by a football." She said, sliding her arm around Jones. Her perfume had an intensity that made his nose twitch. She ran her fingers along his cheek. Where were you hit? Back of the head, right on target. Could have been worse, she said, forming a sultry smile. Jones inhaled. You got that right, he said, lifting the beer glass to his lips. She traced her fingers lightly up his neck. Hey, out of the way, B.B., said Coco, pushing his way into the conversation. Jonesy, I just spoke with Arlo Wombat. Really? Yeah, he's coming over. You ain't gonna find nothing. Then you can drop it. As far as Finley, I can get you a Fiori lawyer. Bebe twiddled her fingers and swayed her torso along the edge of the dance floor. I'll have LG handle it, said Jones, smiling at Bebe. Thanks, I'm more interested in what happened to my Jeep. I'm on it, bro. Finley hasn't got the guts to torture a Jeep. But Clinton's a nutcase. Right, he could have hired Brownie Clinton. Nah, that was a clean job. Somebody from out of town. It's insured. Jonesy, that's not the point. The message is they're warning you. Remember that when you're talking to Wombat. They want you out of something. They? Asked Jones. BB glanced at him near the dark woods. Who is they? Hey, you opened up a can of worms in this Mowgli thing. If Mobley was murdered, then they'll go after you just to keep you from looking into this. Okay, if he was murdered, the murderer is still walking around. Yeah, you think? Asked Coco as Jones finished the beer. Bruno brought over another glass. I'm sending Uncle Dulio over to Hamilton to shadow you. Come on, Coco. My gut tells me Mobley was murdered because he left without a trace. Coco lit a cigarette and leaned back against the bar suit yourself jonesy i appreciate the you offer i'd drop it in the meantime i'm having the claw track this down the claw the claw who's the claw coco leaned toward jones and spoke in a lower voice chuck bender from chelsea not the boston coco the cops are looking into this (laughs) oh yeah the cops are a joke They ain't out on the streets, Jonesy. The clock can kill a man in less than a second. Whoa, getting back to Mobley. The only thing we know is that Mickey Snowden shot Mobley. Right, but it didn't kill him. Coco signaled to Bruno and the bartender brought over a mixed drink to him. Unless he bled to death, said Jones. It was a shoulder wound, Jonesy. Come on. Then somebody cleaned it all up. I need to check medical records, see if the wound was dressed. From 25 years ago? With all the legal crap? Forget it. I'm telling you, Jonesy, you've got this investigative thing in your blood, but getting into this is just plain dumb. What would your old man do? Nail whoever did it, if they did it. Ah, said Coco, and he headed through the bar back to his rear office. Jones danced slow dances with Bebe for the longest time. She liked running and walking along the beach. Jones invited her to walk the beach in Hamilton. Then somebody tapped his shoulder. A gray-haired little man with red suspenders and a funny little beach hat with a blue band extended his hand. He had a frosted glass in his other hand, housing a red liquor, probably a Singapore sling. "'Consider yourself lucky, Jones, that you got to meet the great Arlo Wombat!' "'I know you,' said Beebe, still on Jones's shoulder. "'You're the guy in the van driving around the city!' "'Correct you are, Cookie,' said Arlo, turning to Jones. "'Nice catch there, Jones!' "'Jonesy knows a good thing when he sees it,' said Beebe. "'You want a few minutes with Mr. Wombat, Jonesy? "'I'll find you, Beebe!' she had an extraordinary smile i'm sure you will whoa said arlo watching Bibi. whoa whoa wow jones circled along the bar look arlo you and lark are close friends get it right kiddo get it right we were close friends what happened arlo had the habit of placing his tongue inside his lower lip as he smiled and rolled his blue eyes nothing Okay, well, I want to talk about Hamilton 25 years ago. Jesus, Mary Joseph. You want a drink, Arlo? asked Jones. Arlo spoke with his eyes closed. Don't drink no more since the accident. Accident? Arlo's eyes popped open. Drove off the Crosstown Bridge. I'm the only person to ever drive off the bridge and survive. I was on the air the whole time. Thought I was taking a ride on Canal Street. It was the men working sign. Now I don't touch the stuff. Jones stared at the drink and tilted his head. You were friends with Professor Mowley. Arlo's blue eyes opened wide. Yeah. Did he have a girlfriend? Sure. He met some fitness babe at Chick Corey's gym on North Main Street here in PW. Name? Chick Corey. No, Arlo, the girl never met her. Harrison said she was all wound up, real high maintenance, but she could really go at it. I get the picture, Arlo. Jones grew impatient. What about Locke and Professor Mobley? Jesus, Mary and Joseph. What's the matter now? asked Jones. Jones, you don't want to go there, said Arlo, taking a swig of the Singapore sling. Yeah, I do want to go there. He was murdered, wasn't he? No, Lark is still alive. Mobley, Arlo. Whoa, 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 said Arlo, raising his hands as if he were being held up. Look, Jones, this is all ancient history. I'll make a deal with you, Arlo, buddy, he said, putting his arm around the smaller man. You just tell me one poignant thing that happened about the night that Mobley left town. You're asking me to betray my friend Lark. I thought he wasn't your friend anymore. Again, the tongue expanded his lower lip. His eyes were moist. Lark was still married, for God's sakes. What does that mean? asked Jones. A woman, right? The fitness lady. No, no, that was Mobley's girl, said Arlo. She wore a charm bracelet with a gold cross. Lark was in love with Henrietta Bagley. Henrietta, the nice little lady who works in the candy store in downtown Hamilton? Jones, she was hot back then. And Lark was skinny-dipping with her up Folsom Creek. Oh, so what does that have to do with Mobley, Arlo? Arlo turned to a jones as the music bounced through the speakers. Harrison caught Lark when Harrison and his girlfriend were hiking. The fitness lady was with Harrison. So Lark knew that. Yes, sirree. See, you can get to the creek through the quarries. Full view. What did he do? Blackmail Lark? Arlo guzzled the rest of the drink and smacked his lips. He pressured Lark to make him assistant coach permanently. Froggy Finley was Lark's assistant, said Jones. Harrison and Froggy Finley were vying for the assistant coach's job. Lark liked Froggy. He called him old reliable, I know. But Mobley got the job. I've said enough. I don't want to become involved. I don't want to be involved. And you shouldn't either, Jones. One more question, Arlo, and I do appreciate you talking to me. Actually, too. Did Mobley tell Lark's wife about the skinny dipping? He had pictures of Lark in his birthday suit on the trail. Jones, shocked at the new information, stood with his mouth open. But Lark turned up the heat, the night of the big blowout.
2: What do you mean,
0: asked Jones. Lark smacked Harrison with a bottle of Uncle Whisker's Alabama whiskey, straight from Moonshine Gap, Alabama. Harrison was a fighter. He just laughed at Lark. Never mind, I've said enough. Is that when Lark ran out of the house? Don't know. Let me anticipate your last question. Where is Harrison Mobley now? Yeah, that's it, said Jones. Everyone said that he left town with the gym babe. But to tell you the truth, using Wombat Logic, I thought he was murdered. Wombat Logic? The party of the first and the party of the second and so on and so forth. Right. Phoebe waved at Jones and motioned him over to the dartboard area. Did Lark kill Mobley, Arlo? For a few seconds, Arlo closed his eyes again. Then he flipped them wide open. Damn well could have because of the pictures. I never spoke to Lark again after that night. That's all I care to say. I'd say Lark has a lot of explaining to do. Someone sends a message to Jones by setting fire and destroying his Jeep. Hamilton Fletcher was involved in actions against Mobley 25 years ago, and so was Lark Larson. Coco questions as he accelerates his beamer north to town, whether Bucky really forced Woozy off the road. Miriam Kendall Lincoln is now harassing Jones by phone. And then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jones hears noises downstairs, and three knuckleheads, knuckleheads—Bose, the Iron Man, and Slappy, the Patio Boys, start working on Jones's patio without being hired. Jones inadvertently flattens the Iron Man with a cocked fist. Working with them is the fired Bucky Driscoll. And Bucky finds bones below the patio, human bones six feet below Jones's patio. That night, Jones, talking to Bebe, meets Arlo Wanbat in person at Club Max. Arlo tells Jones that Lark found out about Mobley's girl, a fitness instructor in Prince William. And in turn, Mobley blackmailed Lark about some racy incident up in the woods north of Hamilton. See you next week as the past comes alive in Hamilton, New Hampshire, in the night of the big blowout. Episode 3 is coming then. I'm Robert P. Fitton, tuning in now to the Arlo Wombat Show on W.O.F.I. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio, at www.fittonbooks.com. And here's a real nifty factoid. You can listen to all my audiobooks without interruption on audible.com.
1: Just type in Robert P. Fitton. Thank you, and good night.